When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents Donald Trump with a, a stain on our country. I am someone's daughter. So help me God. Congratulations, Mr. President. The Betches Sup Podcast. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. Hello and welcome to the Betches Sup Podcast. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Brian Russell Smith. And today we are thrilled to be back with Senator Tammy Duckworth, who recently released her memoir, Every Day is a Gift. Right before we started talking, I just finished listening to it on Audible, which I would highly, highly recommend. It's It was such a fun way to spend six hours with you in my ears. Sorry for the <laughs> cursing and the bad singing. <laughs> I think that is the best endorsement for the book you could give, honestly. <laughs> And telling really dirty army jokes. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. I mean, that's that's what I wanted to say before we start, because the topics in the book are heavy, of course, and we're going to talk to you about some of those. But there are these incredible moments of like levity and fun um, that I think people might not expect from it that make it really just such a like ride and fun read. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you know, I, I hope my personal my personality comes through, and 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 I've got a pretty bad sense of humor. <laughs> And I think it's part of why I've been able to survive is I've been able to sort of, you know, laugh at like the ridiculousness of, you know, even the worst situation I find myself in. <laughs> totally, totally. So the early chapters of the book that discuss your upbringing are so rich and detailed. It's like part history lesson, then part travel memoir. It's so like rich and textured and just really amazing to just be in that space with you. You moved around Asia a lot as a kid with your family. What was it like to revisit those experiences? How did you bring yourself back there? Did you look at pictures? Did you, what did you do to get back in that space? You know, it's pretty easy for me to get back in that space, um, uh, especially since I traveled back recently. Uh, before COVID hit, I'd spent some time back in Thailand with my mom because I brought my, my two girls uh, back in 2019. You know, Abigail was just about five and the baby um, was just a little uh, under a year old. So we went back. And so I was back in Southeast Asia um, before COVID hit. And then I wrote the book all during COVID. Um, and uh, so I, you know, all of those scents and smells and tastes and textures were fresh in my mind. Oh, awesome. And I wanted to get that across in the book. Yeah. During normal times, are you a big traveler? Do you like to travel a lot? Well, when you're not being busy being a senator and a mom? <laughs> I love to travel. I love, 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 love to travel. And I hope to instill the travel bug in my girls. Um, and, uh, you know, last year was really hard that I didn't get to go anywhere. Um, and uh, so I've been ramping up, getting my girls ready to start traveling again, as soon as we can get them vaccinated, as soon as the vaccine right. is cleared for, for children. And I know my kids are protected. Uh, we're going to get back on the road. 
Where do you, where do you want to go? What's, what's, what's on your, what's on your bucket list? Well, there's several. So I want to take my girls back to Thailand, at least on an annual basis and then spend, you know, if, if only to, for them to stay with my mom there for a month at a time, just to, for they practice the language and learn the culture and all of that. Um, but I really would love to take my whole family and travel around Europe again. And I love train journeys, you know, it's kind of stuff that I didn't do because I was too poor. Um, and when I did travel early on, it was just, you know, backpacking me and my legs and a pair of sneakers, you know. Um, so I would love to do like a lot of train journeys and then just really show my girls the world as much as possible. I've never been to Africa other than to go to Egypt. And I, I did that as part of the army. So I'd love yeah. to go to Africa and, and, and really see that, you know, parts of that continent. Yeah. Hawaii also plays a really big role in your life. Have your kids been there yet? So um, my oldest daughter has been there. We haven't been back because we started traveling. And then when we, when we planned to go back, COVID hit. Um, but she calls herself Hawaii girl. She likes to think oh. of herself as, you know, as, 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 as a local girl um, because of her middle name. And, and, and she sees pictures of herself. So she tells everyone that she's a, a, a Hawaiian girl. And I'm really like, well, not quite. But okay, <laughs> I love that. So we've both mentioned this now, but a lot of listeners, our listeners are probably familiar with some of the challenges you've overcome. But I know I personally did not know the full scope of your experience with child poverty in the United States, relying at some points on school lunches. You write in every day as a gift. Without those subsidized meals, there's no way I could have finished high school. I would have had to drop out and find a way to get food for my family. And who knows where I might have ended up? Is it any wonder that today I'm a vocal defender of social safety net programs? When I tell you that they work, it's not because I'm quoting from a study or reading from a chart. I'm describing my existence as a 16-year-old struggling to survive. I was wondering if you could elaborate a bit more on that existence. And then a follow-up question is, do you think that kids growing up today have access to what you did? I, I think kids growing up today have access to what I did, but I think it is more challenging because of a lot of the laws that have been changed. Um, uh, uh, there were a lot of these, you know, work requirements, um, and, and frankly, you know, my father tried to find a job for five years and no one would hire him, you know, and it, and it wasn't for lack of trying. Um, and so I, I want to make sure that those programs exist and, in fact, are expanded. Those safety programs are critical. Uh, no child should go to bed hungry in the richest country in the world. No child should uh, have to suffer with, um, you know, a lack of access to health care and not being able to see the dentist and not having basic necessities like toothpaste, you know, and soap and, and all of those things. Um, not in the not in the richest nation in the world. This is, should not be an, an everyday occurrence in America. And it is. And it is. That's a thing. So um, having lived that life, you know, I, I, I know what it's like to get up in the middle of the night to drink water because I'm so hungry. My stomach is growling and I can't sleep. And I was 16 at the time. And I just don't want any child to go through that. Now, that said, I'm, it's not about handouts. You know, this country has never been a country that handed out anything free to my family or I. I mean, in fact, we worked harder at our first than I've ever worked in my life. It was hard, harder work than when I was in the army, harder work as a senator. Um, uh, our family struggled and worked. I worked two jobs, went to school, mother worked two jobs, my dad worked. We did everything that we could um, to try to pull ourselves up. But without those programs, I don't know where we would be as a family. I know I wouldn't be a senator. So it seemed like the biggest barrier to you getting government assistance or one of a big barrier was your father. Do you think some patriarchal ideas about who needs support and why continue to impact the conversation about social safety nets? 
Oh, I think it definitely does, you know, and I think that there is a value judgment on people who need this help as if they're lazy or not working hard enough or there's something wrong with those folks. That's why they're there. They would just only pull themselves up by their bootstraps, you know, and and, and you want to get and there's shame involved. You know, you need to get off that stuff as soon as possible. Um, It's shameful. Um, So that's just a lot of cultural baggage that comes with it. Um, and yeah, my dad, as soon as my mom joined us, because when we moved back to the States, my mom couldn't come with us at first because we didn't have the money, one for her plane ticket or her visa. And she couldn't even get a visa because even though she was married to an American, was the mom to two American children, she still had to go through the long visa process and she couldn't get through that right away. So we were in Hawaii by ourselves for a little while without mom. And, you know, and, and, and so my dad got uh, uh, the food stamps based on um, aid for families with dependent children, but with one with one uh, parent. As soon as my mom showed up, my dad prodded himself right down to the Social Security office and took us off of the food stamps, which has made it just that much harder because it meant then, you know, for me, for example, instead of just having the one job after school, I had to go get a second job after school to make up for the food stamps that we were no longer getting. But that was just very much the way my dad was. He was very, you know, mm-hmm. very, you know, he, he bought into that whole rugged individualism stuff and, and the value judgments of being on the food stamps. He was very ashamed of it. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. 
Speaking of uh, social safety nets, people keep talking about this, like this need for bipartisan support to pass some of President Biden's big proposals, like the American Families Plan. But do you think that there's even full Democratic support? And also, how important do you really think bipartisan support is for something like this? Yeah, well, so... I think we need these uh, uh, plans, these these programs. It's why I voted for the American Rescue Plan, right? That was one that got zero Republican votes. Not a single Republican senator voted for it. And that was the one that sent money out to people, the $1,400 check, so people could pay their back rent and their mm-hmm. mortgages. You know, and that, that cut off at a certain income level. Um, so it wasn't like the wealthy got that money that went to working families across the country. Um, and it also had in it money for vaccines. It had money in it for schools so that schools could bring kids back to in-person learning. Uh, it had money in it for hospitals that are struggling. I, and I couldn't believe that not a single Republican voted for that. You know, Janet Yellen yeah. said at the time, if we didn't get that bill passed, the economy was going to go into a free fall. And thank God we did. But it was that was completely partisan. Only Democrats so you benefited from that at all. It was because the Democrats yep. got it out to you. And, and I feel the same way about, you know, um, the infrastructure proposal and the family or human infrastructure pr- proposal, the uh, American family plan that the president is talking about. I think it's too important. I want Republican support. Um, but if there's no Republican support and we have to do it through a budget reconciliation and, and go with the 50 votes plus Kamala Harris, then, then that's the way we need to do it because we need to get it out the door. The country is hurting, families are hurting, and our economy is going to go into what Janet Yellen calls a prolonged stagnation if we don't do it. Yeah. And you yeah. are, this is personal to you, right? Because I think last time we talked to you, you said you were, you're responsible, obviously, for your children's care and your mother. Yeah, I am. I am. You know, I'm, 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 I'm that sandwich generation. I'm like, yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm like a lot of uh, Gen Xers right now. You know, I have kids and my mom um, who just turned 80 living with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting how even after they didn't vote for it, some of them still wanted to take credit for it after the fact. Yeah, they wanted to take credit for it. And, and you know, it's crazy. I mean, we created a million new jobs in the first hundred days of the pre- of the Biden presidency, thanks in part to getting the American Rescue Plan out. Because don't remember, don't forget that had a lot of money in it for small businesses um, uh, as well mm-hmm. in the PPP program. And so, you know, that that really helped. And, and um, Republicans yeah. didn't vote for that. Yeah. In addition to three throughout Asia, another huge setting in your book for a big chunk is Walter Reed Hospital. You are obviously personally uh, in touch with the needs of veterans. What are you looking forward to? What do you see as sort of the most urgent needs that the Department of Veterans Affairs needs right now? What are you hearing from your, your friends um, and your, your former colleagues about what is most urgent to them? Well, I, I really see three main buckets and it's generation, it's, it's, it's demographic based. So um, the first is the baby boomers are becoming geriatric, a geriatric population. And so those, uh, all those Vietnam veterans, and we still have Korean War veterans who are still around, you know, and, and, and even some World War II veterans. So uh, we have veterans living longer than they have ever lived. Um, as a group in our nation's wow, history. Yeah. So now the VA is going to have to get into like their significant geriatric population and do that care. So as the baby boomers hit their 80s and their 70s, um, we're going to be in for a real um, uh, 
explosion of need among the, the elderly veteran population that the VA is going to have to be ready for. So that means more hospitals, more money for nursing homes, more money for geriatric care, um, uh, and more money for um, Agent Orange-related illnesses. We have to identify those because some of them have taken 40 years to develop. And we know that they're caused by Agent Orange. Um, you know, like there's certain leukemias that are showing up in the population. So we have to do that. The second bucket are women veterans. We finally have, in, because women veterans, you know, women started joining the forces, but in, in, in a significant number in the 70s and 80s. So that population of um, women veterans, um, and then, of course, in Iraq and Afghanistan are, are a significant portion. Um, we really have to ramp up care for our female veterans. Uh, we just don't do enough, and we don't do enough studies on their health needs um, and, and, and the health effects of their military service that are unique to women veterans. A lot of things that have to do with stress yeah. fractures or pelvis or urinary illnesses, um, that sort of thing. Um, uh, infertility. Infertility uh, among female veterans is double that of the infertility rates of American women out who are not veterans. I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then, uh, and then uh, Iraq and Afghanistan veterans in general the post 9-11 veterans. Um, and I would pull into that, that the first Gulf War veterans, but there's a whole bunch of illnesses from the burn pits. I think that there's going to be much like happened with Agent Orange and the Vietnam veterans. I think in 20 years to 40 years, we're going to start seeing major respiratory illnesses come from the exposures to the burn pits that have not shown up um, for a number of reasons. I think some of these neuro neurological disorders are going to take 20 years to develop and also, as the, that, those veterans age, right, they're in their 20s and maybe 40s, the oldest of them are in their 40s right now. But as they age, they're going to get to a point where the effects then overwhelms their body's ability to fight off these illnesses. And so those are, the, for me, the main buckets, the geriatric veteran population, the female veteran, and then the Iraq-Afghanistan veteran population. As you were talking, it just sort of reminds me about like the climate change debate where it's like, you know what's going to happen. These predictions have been made and doctors know what the resources that will be need needed over a staggered amount of time. It's just a matter of ensuring that the resources are there. So throughout your book, you also discuss some discrimination you encountered first as a biracial child in Thailand and more recently um, witnessing anti-Asian hate as a United States senator. Amid these more recent crimes that have really relied on complete dehumanization of Asian people, you and your colleague, Senator Maisie Hirono, signaled that you would not move forward with some of Biden's nominees until there was better representation of AAPI people in his administration, which ultimately did happen. What drove you to stand firm there? Well, it was six months of waiting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but before he was sworn in, even from before he was elected, I was having, and remember, I was vetted for vice president. I made it to the finals in the vetting process for vice president. So I had significant conversations with him about representation in his government. And he was, President Biden, uh, mm. you know, uh, was dedicated to it. And, and, he, and, he, and he said, listen, my administration is going to look like the American people. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I totally believe his commitment to that. And, and so we sent, I sent him and, and all of the API leadership, the, uh, the caucus in the Senate and in the House, myself, Maisie, we sent um, numerous uh, recommendations of um, outstanding AAPI individuals who are well qualified for various jobs and said, here you go. Um, and, and he had said that his cabinet was going to reflect the American people. And then I sat and waited and had conversations and waited and waited and waited. And there are 15 cabinet positions. And I voted for every man, every white person, mm -hmm. every Latinx person, every woman, 
every LGBTQ nominee that came forward for every one of his nominations for every, all 15 of those candidate positions and the judges, everyone that came for, I voted yes on. And the whole time I was being told, we're going to nominate someone, we're going to nominate someone. Meanwhile, most of the candidates that I had sent forward had not even been interviewed. And I just got to a point where I was very frustrated. And I realized that what was happening was the same thing that happens to Asian Americans in American society. We just get pushed to the side and not and thought of as an other and thought of as not as a real minority group that truly needs representation because we are that myth of the model minority that we're all doing well, which is not true, that we're not discriminated against. And finally, I just... I had it. I had a conversation with the Democratic caucus when we were all in it and a Biden, a, a representation of the Biden administration basically said, well, you have Kamala, you should be you should be happy. That's enough. And I found that incredibly offensive, especially after I voted yeah. for every single person. I said, you know, you would never say we have a white male president. There's no need to, in- to nominate any more, any more <laughs> white men. You wouldn't say that to the black caucus. You wouldn't say that to the Latino caucus. Why would you say that? to the AAPI caucus. And so um, I will tell you that the administration reacted within hours, within hours. Mm-hmm. They were on the phone with me. We were having conversations. I said, you know, this mistake that you've made, I've been talking to you about it for six months. Yeah. Um, but one way to avoid it is if you would put an AAPI outreach person, staff member in the White House, in the West Wing with enough rank on them to help you head off these mistakes before you make them. Mm-hmm. These, these errors yeah. of judgment. Um, someone who can stand up in the Oval Office and say, Mr. President, this is a problem. And they just, and, and she just started. Erica Moritsuku was just appointed uh-huh. um, uh, and, and to her position and just started last week. So I'm very pleased with that. Wonderful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. When you were saying, uh, I wouldn't say that we don't need any more white men. I was like, I would. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't. I'll say it for you. Yeah. Maybe someone should say it. There you go, Amanda. Thank you. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. 
No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. So when you when you became into the Senate, there was obviously a, pre, a different president. Um, Barely a president, he who must yes. not, Yeah, he who must not be named. Uh, and so now that there's a new president, you know, the Senate has changed, but also... I think at the after in the aftermath of January 6th, I just like, I want to know like what the vibe is like at work, you know, like is like, is it, is it awkward or is no one, does no one talk about what happened around January 6th? Are people excited that there's a new president? I'm just very curious. Well, obviously the Democrats are very excited and we are very energized and, and we're working as hard as we can. We passed so many pieces of legislation just in a hundred days I mean, more legislation than the Republicans ever passed and, you know, significant things and things that were and we've even passed in bipartisan legislation last week. I'm so proud that I passed my mm-hmm. my water yes. bill, right? Bipartisan uh, it came out of committee unanimously. It's going to get the lead out of our drinking water supply. It's going to fix our sewers across this country. Um, uh, over 30 billion dollars in investments in America's um, uh, infra- uh, water infrastructure. So we're passing things. It's the first time I've ever been in the majority. I was never in a majority when wow, I was in the yeah. House. And my first, you know, four years here in the Senate. We were, and so to be able to get things passed and moving is really exciting. Um, I'm still disappointed to hear my colleagues uh, across the aisle still spreading the big lie. Many of them are still spreading the big lie that Trump won the election, that there's election fraud. They're still concentrated on that. And I'm really disappointed that not a single one of them voted to pass the American Rescue Plan. I hope they come forward. Um, and I am hopeful because of the infrastructure, the, the water infrastructure bill that passed, that maybe we'll get them to come on board with the infrastructure bill overall. And also the voting rights bill. We'll see what that yes. goes. Um, uh, that may be a, a Democrats only bill. Um, and then, of course, the um, uh, criminal justice reform bill that um, Tim Scott of North Carolina is working on with Cory Booker. So I have high hopes for that as well. Is it easier to ask Senator Mitt Romney to work with you on legislation or to blurb your book? <laughs> he is very approachable. I will tell you, I went to him and I, I, I asked him uh, if he would do it. And, you know, because when you ask him to do that, you ask him to do homework, you ask him to read. Yeah, yeah. They can blurb it. So, you know, you're asking for six hours of their time at least. Um, and he was very generous to give me his time and, and to agree to do that. He has also been very approachable on legislation and on a lot of um, I've talked to him on a lot of things that have to do with the authorization for use of military force in Afghanistan um, uh, and, and on the foreign. I'm not on the Foreign Affairs Committee. He is. Um, and I talked to him about, a lot about that. So he's been very welcoming. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And finally, May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. I was curious if you had any favorite AAPI owned businesses in Chicago or D.C. that you could recommend. Oh, my gosh, there's so many. But I mean, I would have to recommend um, because I'm here and I'm always looking for Asian foods and groceries. Uh, there, yeah. there are two uh, Asian, uh, Thai, Southeast Asian uh, uh, grocery stores. One is Bangkok 54, which is a restaurant with a, um, a amazing grocery, little grocery store attached to it. And they also have prepared food that you can get to take out. Um, um, and then also Duong Rat, 
which is uh, uh, near Bailey's Crossroads, which is also a restaurant and a um, and a grocery store. But they sell a whole lot of um, uh, handicrafts and, and 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 things like that. So those are two great stores that um, if you want a little taste of Southeast, yeah, uh, it's a good place to go. One of my favorite anecdotes from your book was when you describe like the reaction to your husband sending you some of your favorite foods. And they were like, why is this white guy sending it to Tammy Duckworth? And why, what? In Iraq, yeah. I got this care package. My, my husband would go to the grocery store and buy like, you know, the, the kimchi and the pickled uh, cucumbers and the preserved fish and all of this stuff and pack it up. But he wouldn't package it up. He would take it to the Korean, uh, local Korean pack and ship store and but the name on was Tammy Duckworth, which is not an Asian name. And she, this poor Korean woman was like, "What are you sending all this Asian stuff to somebody you know, in Iraq?" He goes, "No, no, my wife is Asian." <laughs> and when I was shot down, I, I talk about this in the book. When I was shot down, I'm from the Midwest, right? So I'm I'm the only Asian in my in my entire unit. And like none of the when, when we have to joke, half joking. When you when you die, I get your gear, right? You get hurt, I get your right. gear. Um, so when they were packing my stuff up and they had all of my, all of my food that I'd hoarded, they were going to, usually you do, you pass that among the other guys that are still there. And they took it like to these Midwestern Pol- Polish and Irish guys <laughs> in Chicago who were like, what is this stuff? And then they remember, then they remembered there was a, a Hawaiian unit next door and they took it to the Hawaiians and the Hawaiians were like, yeah, brah. <laughs> this is awesome. There's like rice uh, and fish and cancer, you know. <laughs> All of that is just like all of that's the great of America in a nutshell is that story. I feel like, yes. Thank you so much for your time. We're so grateful for it. Listeners definitely read the book or listen to it. Uh, Every day is a gift. Senator Tammy Duckworth. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you, Senator. Thank you. you. Till the end of democracy. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Brian Russell Smith. And this is the Betches Up podcast. Bye. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.